Hello, my loves, and welcome to the Purposeful Lifestyle Development Podcast, where we discuss all things thought work and manifestation, but we use neuroscience and the study of the brain to do so. I'm your host, Tessa Spizak. I'm a board-certified practitioner, master life and health coach, and seasoned executive speaker. If you're ready to create your highest value lifestyle and turn your dream life into a reality, you're in the right place. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello, hello, my friends. How is everyone feeling today? I hope you are feeling like a million bucks. As always, thank you so much for spending your time with me here on the Purposeful Lifestyle Development Podcast. Thank you so much for being part of the conversation, part of the community. And if you're new here, welcome on in. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss part of our conversation. And As always, I'm so, so excited to get into this conversation today. I was actually just talking to a friend recently, and we were talking about being at that point in life where it seems like just a few years ago was an entire lifetime ago. And I think a lot of people, you know, just regardless of how old you are, what stage you are in life, you can definitely agree that at least the last few years, seem to have sped everything up and so much has changed. And it's really true how we do so many of the things in our lives, regardless of who you are, where you are, really has gone through some kind of upheaval over the last few years. I mean, just in terms of how we do business and run our lives, there's so many more people working from home or just working differently A lot of conferences and events are online now. I mean, I know personally, I've noticed a really big change as a public speaker going from about half and half public and online presentations to just about 100% online too. Like my husband too, he works in tech, like artificial intelligence, deep computer learning, all of that. And just this year, they're having their industry-wide conference in person again. But with all of that, you add on, you know, regular life changes. It's really been a lot. And for us, I guess we're both what you would call younger millennials, like older 20s, lower 30s, that type. We're all in that stage of life where, at least for my group of people, my friend group, we're all kind of settling in from that hustle culture into maybe more of our passion work. We've gone from maybe dating around to married. And I've talked about this on here. I mean, I went from inner city Dallas hustle running around to now I'm in the hill country near the water outside of Austin, these suburbs area. I mean, our people are having kids or maybe gaining bonus children. Like in my case, I tease him that I inherited him when he was nine. But all in all, if you compare five or six years ago me to today me, our day-to-day life is so different. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate. That's definitely our relating factor in this conversation. But throughout the conversation, we ended up on the topic of confidence. And she was talking to me about, you know, with those same life changes, just really big 180s, how she's seen changes in her confidence in different parts of her life. For instance, she used to be really, really confident and bubbly and boisterous in front of other people, but then a bit more shy when it came to getting really close to people or having people in more intimate situations, like 
coming to your house for wine and a movie or something like that. And now she says that for her, it's completely flipped. Like if you come to her home or have some kind of more intimate setting like that, she's super comfy with you immediately, but finds herself feeling a bit shy when it comes to meeting new people or kind of being in that networky state of mind. And it was such an interesting discussion. We were kind of all over the map, but at the end, we're both kind of consulty, coachy, that type of business. She was like, all right, give me the coaching advice. Give me the three takeaways. What are they when it comes to confidence? How am I getting my confidence back? And I like that. I love a, I love a good takeaway conversation. So here are the three that I gave her. And these are the things that have kept me really confident and kind of my mantras when I need a little bit of a boost. So especially if you're dealing with something where maybe your confidence is a little lower too, or just need something like that on hand, grab a pen, note this part in the podcast and listen to it later, something. But here are my, really my big three. Number one, you got to remember this. It is not your business what other people think of you. It's really not. It doesn't affect you. They didn't tell you, so there's no point in speculating and you can't control it. If that's what someone does with their time is spend it judging you, there's really nothing you can do about it. So let it be. That's my thoughts. If someone thinks something about me, I can't change it. I probably don't even know for sure. That ain't for me. It's not my business. Let it be. Number two, the only way for something to actually be embarrassing is for you to be embarrassed. If I'm not embarrassed, then it can't be embarrassing. That just doesn't work, right? And if someone else looks at what I did and their response is, oh, that's embarrassing. Well, no, no, it doesn't. That just means that you would be embarrassed to do that or you aren't confident to do that. So refer back to number one, not my business, right? And number three, look at the law of polarity, baby. We talked about that in the 12 universal laws. Say I am doing something and one person really does cringe. They truly actually cringe. The law holds true that somehow, some way, another person found confidence in it. That's just the way it works. So number one, it's not your business. Don't make it your business. Number two, it can't take your confidence unless you let it because it's not embarrassing unless you're embarrassed. And three, remember, even if someone does cringe, you probably did something good for someone else. And I just loved that talk. And it made me think of that conversation that's going around on social media lately. If you're on any kind of social, you've probably heard it. Such a cute name, but people are calling it like the lucky syndrome, like lucky girl syndrome, lucky guy syndrome, which is so cute. But I really think that this advice kind of goes hand in hand and I'll explain it a little bit further, but I want you to picture something with me. And this is a simple one, simple exercise. You probably know it, but do it anyway. Think of how a confident person walks into a room versus someone who's not confident and think about you. Think about how you do it. How do you walk into a room that you feel really confident in? That's your space. You're claiming that space versus how you do it into a different room. And as we're going through this conversation, I want you to think about how much luck would come to those different people, or again, maybe those different versions of you. And again, simple exercise. You've probably done it before, but let's go. What does confident you look like when you walk into a room? Well, first and foremost, you walk in like you're supposed to be there. People can see that. People can feel that. 
You don't hide your face. You know, most people, their body language changes, their chin goes up. They're probably smiling, not afraid to scan the room. They welcome eye contact. It's invited, right? You have a really easy time taking a deep breath. So your chest is probably open and exposed. You've got your hands down or up in a wave, but you're not covering yourself. You look and feel more like you're supposed to be there. And like I said, people feel that energy. You look like you're ready to receive whatever is happening in that space. And you are you, despite whatever else is going on. That's kind of the air of confidence. Now think about you when you walk into a room and you are not confident. You're not confident to be there, whatever the case. Maybe you're looking down. You're definitely not trying to make eye contact. The opposite of what we talked about, maybe your body kind of folds in. You get smaller, you know, shoulders come forward, kind of maybe covering the chest. It's very instinctual too, but it's very, you know, oh, don't bother. Don't look over here. I'm just going to kind of sneak in. Maybe your breath gets smaller or shorter, but you're definitely not making an entrance. For me, I think of it almost like you're kind of in your head either saying, hello, what is here? Who is here? Versus like, I'm not here. Don't look at me. I'm not here. And so think about luck. Whichever you do, don't forget, it gives off an energy to people, whether that's subconscious or not, even if it's, again, just reading that body language. Reading body language and having those specific body languages are very instinctual in us. It's almost like you see, oh, I hate to compare us to our pets. That feels a little funny, but think about a pet that likes you, cat or a dog. They're going to roll over, expose their stomach. They're open, they're wide, they're not scared. It's their instinct when they don't feel safe around someone or in that situation. They cover themselves. They coil up. They're definitely not showing their belly. Kind of the same thing in our body language in that sense. It's either I am welcoming, I'm open to interaction, I'm open to luck versus, oh my God, I hope nothing bad happens, right? So just based on that visual alone, who do you think is getting lucky? Who do you think is going to get some luck in the room that they just walked into? Someone whose presence is literally exuding, I'm ready for this exchange or this interaction. I'm very optimistic and excited versus the person who's basically hiding. And I admit, like I said, this is a simple example. And I don't want you to think like, okay, Tessa, we're just going to talk about body language here. No, not at all. This one is actually setting the stage for something that is so much bigger, and I haven't seen anyone really express it this way, but it's setting the stage for self-fulfilling prophecy. How do you become lucky? You are deliberate about it. And I want to tell you what I mean here. Oh, I'm excited already. But we got to start with a definition. Of course, this is just what we do on this podcast because I always want us to be on the same page here. We've got listeners from all different countries. I see my stats, age groups are all over the place. So let's all know what we're talking about here. A self-fulfilling prophecy is a belief about a future event that leads people to act in a certain way, ultimately bringing about that expected outcome. It was actually coined in 1948 by a man named Robert K. Merton, and he described a self-fulfilling prophecy as a false definition of a situation evoking a behavior which makes the original false concept come true. In other words, 
a misrepresentation of reality or a guess at truth that in turn caused behaviors that would end up making this hypothetical into an actual reality. And what all of this means is, yes, every all my manifestation people, I know your hands are up in the air right now because it's the exact same thing. When we believe something about ourselves, we're more likely to act in a way that corresponds to our belief, thus reinforcing our belief and encouraging the same behavior. So just like our little example about how you walk into a room, think about it in those terms. If you believe that you are going to be lucky, you're going to act in a way that would bring about that luck, therefore getting luck, therefore making you believe more that you are lucky and repeating the process. And just on a little side note here, if you've been part of this conversation for a while, you know that I've talked about this before. One of my favorite experiences in this life is when it feels like something that you really, really want just falls into your lap. Seriously, for me, there's nothing better, no better feeling in the universe than when it feels like the universe just did the hard part for me. And that means I really like to create those instances. I chase them. And I believe that is why, just like we were saying, things tend to fall into my lap. And we can see this in what's called the Pygmalion effect. It's kind of a subset of self-fulfilling prophecy. This says that our beliefs about ourselves influence our outward actions toward others, which impacts others' belief about us, which cause them to act in accordance towards us. And then the system continues, which reinforces our belief in ourself, which influences our action, and around and around we go. Our beliefs influence our actions, which impact others' belief about us, which affects their actions, and reinforces our beliefs again. Just like our example. If we have a belief in ourself that we are confident, ready, excited for this exchange, it will change our actions. And when others see that, that gives a message to them. They see us as confident, as magnetic. Therefore, that changes their actions. That's where we get lucky. And when we're lucky, that reinforces our belief that we're lucky. And so just to break this down a little bit for how you can use this in your own life and really take this theory and this psychological phenomena and put it into your own life. How do you create your own luck? How do you build lucky girl, lucky guy, lucky person syndrome? You got to change the loop and you can adjust one that's already in play, one that's already happening. Maybe one that is affecting our luck or affecting our ability to receive luck or pick up on a lucky instance. So really simply, here's how the loop is formed. One, you form an expectation about yourself about others, or about events, right? There is some expectation that's there. Next, you express those expectations, either verbally or non-verbally. Think back to our how you enter a room confidently example. You are very easily non-verbally showing what those expectations are. Number three, others adjust their behavior and communication to match your message. Think of the law of vibration. Like attracts like. Others match you. So, number four, 
Next, your expectations become your reality. And number five, the confirmation strengthens your belief. So first and foremost, we have to change our expectations for ourselves, for others, and for events. And when it comes to our expectations, I really want to make a note here because I always talk about how important it is to visualize, to expect all of these different things, exactly what you want, but that does come with kind of a disclaimer, I guess, is you do want to leave yourself open to greater than what you expect. If you basically put a proverbial line in the sand that says, this is exactly how I want and this is exactly how I expect it, you don't really leave room for better or for more and you can essentially cut yourself off from it. You know, say you are really wanting to go to this event you really want to be lucky at this event, but if you decide that luck only looks like one specific thing, right? It only looks like getting the free bottle of champagne or it only looks like getting the free ticket to whatever. That's, again, can kind of cut you off. You want to be open to that, be open to that possibility. Maybe I'm going to get something for free. Maybe I'm going to get this expectation. I don't know, but I'm so excited to see what it is. It's that quote, that mantra of show me how good this can get. Because if you say, again, that I only want it this way, I don't expect better than this, I won't accept anything other than this, it's almost like the universe is going to say back to you, like, oh, well, there was all this luck ready for you, but you're not going to recognize it, so this is not for you, right? That's my spiritual side. Or in terms of the brain, if you've got this specific definition of what luck looks like for you, your reticular activating system is turned on, tuned into that. It's like a filter for our brain. So you very well might miss other instances of luck. So that's my little caveat there is just check in and take inventory of what your expectations are for, again, yourself from others and of events, right? Expect luck, from yourself, expect others to treat you in a way that feels really good, that feels really lucky, that feels really amazing. Expect these events to be great, but with that, don't put super, super specifics on it. Keep this mantra. This is the best one that I know is just show me how good this can get. Remember that we get to play. This is all for fun. Play with this life experience. And right along with that, another piece that is super, super crucial to tending to or changing or managing this loop is you got to actually believe in yourself, right? This is all about your expectations, your beliefs, the confirmation in yourself of, am I lucky? Am I not? So you have to really believe in yourself. And my rule for this, something I definitely think you should steal, put this into your life. My rule is stop yourself when you hear yourself prophesy something bad over you. I don't say anything out loud or in my head that I wouldn't want to be true. And you might think this is cheesy, but whatever, I do it anyway. This is very, very true. If just, you know, my subconscious mind is taking over, my programmed brain is taking over, and I hear myself start to go into a negative space, or I hear myself 
think something negative about myself. Maybe I didn't get to something or I misprioritized my day somehow and I hear myself say something like, oh, well, I was lazy or I just can't get it right or something like that or I just can't. See, I don't even like to do this, but I literally stop and say three nice things about myself. I'm like, nope, that is not true. Here's three instances that prove that otherwise. And I do this every single time. So seriously, if you want to start believing in yourself, a really big component of that is stop prophesying bad things over yourself. These are like affirmations. And the first time I heard this next statement, I really didn't believe it, but I heard someone many, many years ago say that we're actually doing affirmations all the time. And for the majority of the public, they're usually negative. Like, no, that, no, that's not true. There's no way that's true. But the deeper I dived and the more I got into thought work and would really listen to my own head, it's so easy to just be like, ah, stupid or something like that was dumb. And it's really true. So no more negative affirmations. Pay attention to that. And along with that, when you have that better belief in yourself, more belief that you are lucky, you are willing and you are deserving, you have to be open to receiving the things that you want. Again, we talked about this in the last session. You have to be open to it. Again, saying, let's see how good this can be. How much better can it get? And tying it back into our neuroscience, neuroplasticity parts, because, you know, I got to go there. One of the reasons that I regularly talk about the brain and how it works is when you know how it works and you know that your brain is going to fight change and why it fights that change, that it's just a normal survival instinct that's still within us. It's not you. It's not that you are doing anything wrong. It's not that you are not determined, whatever. You are just aware that it's your brain braining, right? This is not your mind. This is just what happens. It puts you in the driver's seat so you get to decide if you want to believe it or not. When you're trying to do something or change something or do something better and your brain is trying to give you a thousand excuses as to why you should not do it, again, you can just be aware it's your brain doing its thing and decide not to believe it when it tells you something that you don't like. Our brain is always scanning for bad or for danger by nature. So instead, start to train it to scan for good. Your brain is always holding on to things from your past that cause fear or cause bad feelings because it associates that pain with the potential for death. So it's always trying to keep you from repeating those things. So the more you lean into the things you want, the less fearful your brain is going to be, the more you successfully change and do the things you want to do, the more it's going to believe you, the more it's going to be excited. That's just the way the brain works. And if you're new here and you're not exactly sure on what I'm talking about, this is a topic I have covered extensively here on the podcast. That's why I'm not going too, too deeply into it again for some of our more regular listeners who are like, yes, yes, I almost have this memorized by now. But very first episode, How Your Brain Sees Your Life, and the Neuroscience of Manifesting. Those are your top two, I would say, best resources. If you want to go a little bit more into the survival instincts of the brain, the reticular activating system, all of that, or if you just want a little bit of a refresher, always feel good. I love those. And again, just a really good resource for why the brain acts the way it does and how we can really change the way it's wired and really work on our neuroplasticity. 
It's another reason why when you want to be confident and when you want to be lucky and create luck for yourself, you want to start to look back and again, start to train your brain to scan for the good. Look at all the things you've created. Look at all the things that past you, maybe again, like we talked about earlier, five or six years ago, you, what they were working so hard to create, what they wanted that you now have. Look at all the luck that has happened to you. Remember all those times that exactly what you wanted fell into your lap. Being grateful and recognizing when these good things come really lets you affirm your own luck to yourself. So like I said earlier, how do you become lucky? You are deliberate about it. This is manifestation. This is creation, guys. Form the expectation of yourself that you are lucky, that other people treat you exactly how you want, that events play out better than you could imagine. When you start to believe and expect that, your body language, your energy, your vibe will represent that, will show that. Other people will pick up on that. The event or whatever the case will be will match that and your expectation becomes your reality. The more it happens, the more we confirm that belief and we continue to play in life. We are fun, magnetic, magical beings and we should get to live in a life that plays out in accordance to that. And you know, I'm always here for you if there's something you're trying to shift, something you're trying to grow or change or be, and all of this makes sense, but you really just need some guidance or some help in putting it into play, let me help you. You know, you can always head to my website. That's www.purposefullifestyledevelopment.com. You can email me personally. That's info at purposefullifestyledevelopment.com. I've got packages and single sessions on my website. If you don't see something that suits you, reach out to me. You can always find me on social as well. That's Coach Tessa or Coach Tessa PLD for some extra free coaching lifestyle development tips. I hope you are feeling ready to take on the day and start choosing and have more creative direction on which prophecy you decide to fulfill. But all right, my loves, that's where I'll leave us today. I want to thank you so much for joining in on this conversation with me. And each week, every Monday, we're going to be posting a new episode going a little bit deeper into the conversation of what you can do to train your brain on purpose to really allow for the lifestyle that you want to live. Until next time, my loves, in the meantime, here's to your health and your happiness. Mm-hmm.